Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. August 10th, 1992, God saved me. I just want to tell somebody what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. I, so every year, I've got it marked on my calendar because that's my, my freedom day. And so I, I celebrate my freedom day and um, uh, rejoice in what God is doing in my life because um, without Him, I would be nothing. And August 10th of 1992, someone invited me to a church. My first husband had died of a drug overdose. I'd lost custody of my children. I had been uh, charged with uh, three counts of attempted armed robbery. I was in the car. My first husband was charged with all three of the armed robberies and uh, pleaded guilty making a plea deal with the uh, district attorney if they would let me go and drop all of the charges against me. And the day after he was charged for those armed robberies, he died of a drug overdose. And uh, it was after his death that I lost custody of my children because I continued in the addiction and it was like a whirlwind. I had died of a drug overdose myself and been brought back to life by um, CPR, a futile attempt at CPR. He didn't know how to do CPR, but I had done so much cocaine that we lost count of how much cocaine we had done. And he had pulled up his cocaine and my cocaine into one syringe and gave it all to me at one time and my heart stopped. And the other people in the room ran out of the room, leaving him to try to bring me back to life. And he didn't know how to do CPR, so he carried me to the shower, turned on the cold water, and took his fist and beat me in the chest till I started breathing again. And an hour later, I could speak. It took an hour before I knew my name. It took an hour before I knew where I was. But the first thing that I said after I, I could speak was, is there any more dope? So having already experienced that close call with death and having seen my first husband die in my arms of a drug overdose, I should have known, but I was so caught in that cycle of addiction that I no longer had that ability to get myself out of the position that I was in. Amen. And I was in the back of a bar in the projects of East Nashville, shooting cocaine nonstop again. And I had done so much I couldn't feel anymore. And so I kept telling the person who was supplying me, give me more, I can't feel it. I, give me more, I can't feel it. And so he gave me more. And when I put it into my arm, 
my heart stopped. And this time I left my body and I knew I left my body. And I began, I found myself standing in front of a skull. It was not a skeleton, it was a skull. And it was as tall as the skull was as tall as me. And I stood in front of this skull and there were hands reaching for me. Hands of darkness. They were not black hands. They were, it was darkness as if darkness had hands. And those hands were reaching for me and trying to pull me into the skull. And at that moment, I ran back to my body. I knew I was running back to my body. And I ran back to my body. And when my spirit got back into my body, I came back to life and I began running. I ran out of the bar. I ran down the, the streets of the projects of East Nashville with blood running down my arms. And I ran for a block and a half trying to get away from the death that was trying to pull me into that skull. And it was a Sunday afternoon. I went to church that Sunday night and I sat on the front row. And it was the church where my children had attended with their great-grandmother. And their great-grandmother had taken them to church and they had put my name in for their prayer requests. They had asked their Sunday school teacher, please pray for my mommy. It was a church that was on the same road where I prostituted. And so many of those church people had driven past me as I stood on the street. And when the minister gave the altar call, I mean, he just indicated he was given an altar call. I didn't even know anything about it. But all I knew is I died. And I went to hell and I didn't want to go to hell. It was the first time that I realized hell was real. I had spent hours listening to music, talking about hell, highway to hell, Suicide Solution, can you tell Ozzy Osbourne and Black Sabbath were the kind of music I listened to? I had spent hours listening, but I'd never thought it was real. I, I always just thought it was a figment of the imagination, and that day I knew hell was real. And when that minister opened the altar, I came and I stood before him, and, and he kind of prayed for me. I, I, I have mercy on him. I don't think he knew what to do with me. Because I just walked up and said, I died today. And I don't want to go to hell. Please help me. I didn't even know about Jesus. I didn't even know how to ask Jesus into my heart. I didn't even know how to get saved. So they prayed for me and kind of put me out of the back door, you know, just kind of just like, what do we do with her? And somebody who went to that church told a couple who had come up to the hospital to pray for my late husband who was being kept alive by the machines. And when that couple found out that I had come to the church that night, they said, well, what did you do? And they said, well, we kind of prayed for her. And they said, what do you mean you kind of prayed for her? And they called my children's great-grandmother to find out where I was. And they came looking for me. 
and took me to a revival that was taking place in Goodlettsville. And I, I had, in this process of time, I had gone to the state to get on methadone to get off the Dilaudid, which is a form of heroin. And I was on the highest level of methadone they would give because I, we would drive from Nashville to Chattanooga. <laughs> Three and a half hours each way because they would give you more in Chattanooga than they would give you in Nashville. And so we had a whole group of junkies that would get in our cars and carpool together to drive to Chattanooga to get our methadone. And I totaled three cars on methadone and don't know where I left those cars. Because methadone was just as addictive, it was just as bad as the Dilaudid I was trying to get free from. And so I came to church and I was so messed up on methadone, I slept through the first service. And after the service, the pastor's wife, the preacher's wife, it was a revival. He wasn't pastoring there. The preacher's wife came back and wanted And so they took me in the little choir room and they were going to pray with me. And according to the witnesses, because I don't remember, I cussed her out. She is my mother-in-law today, so God has mercy. I cussed her out. They, they took me to their house that night, the couple who had brought me. And they stayed up and prayed over me all night. They anointed my pillow, put me on their couch, and stayed up and prayed over me all night. And took me back to the revival the next night. And I slept through part of it. But at somewhere in that man's sermon, I woke up and he walked over to me. And he looked me in the eye and he said, do you want help? And I, I said, yes. And I stood to my feet, yes, I want help. And when I got up off the floor, I was upset because I, how did I get on the floor? Did this man knock me down? I'd never been in a church where the power of God was in manifestation. When he prayed for me, the power of God came over me and I went down on the ground. And when I got up, I was sober for the first time in eight years. I was in my right mind like Legion. When I read the story of Legion in Mark chapter four or five, when Mark chapter five, I, I see my life in addiction. I mean, that was me. That, that's why the book of my testimony is called Walking in the Graveyard. I was the woman in the graveyard, cutting myself and, and destroying my life with that addiction. But when I got up from the power of God, I was sober. I was in my right mind. And I went home that night and I had... I had bags of pills because I, I went to doctors and got prescriptions. I had bags of marijuana. I had my methadone and, it, and I flushed it all down the toilet that night. You know that was God at work in my life. August 10th, 1992. August 10th of 1992. <laughs> Look what the Lord has done. So when I say you can't 
judge your future by your past. We've got to recognize that God is able to restore and He is able to take us beyond every mistake we've ever made, every failure of our yesterday. We are not who we were. We are not what we did. We have been made new creatures in Christ. Old things are passed away. All things are created new. And if I had not come to, if I had not allowed the Word of God to re-identify me in Christ, if I had not allowed the Word of God to establish who I am in Christ, I would have been stuck saying, I can't do that. I was a prostitute. I can't do that. I was a drug addict. I can't do that. I got arrested for such and such. But none of those things have any sway over my decisions today. And most of the time I don't even think about the life that I lived until I come to a place in the remembering of what God did for me to have to step back into how my life was before Christ. I do it from a perspective of giving Him glory and recognizing God did this. God did this. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I am going to finish that sermon, but not tonight. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. So when he delivered me from the drugs, I had nothing. Is this okay? I'm just obeying the Lord. I had a sermon. Uh, but, but I want to testify to the glory of God. I, when I was saved, I knew nothing about the Bible. I mean, my grandmother had taken me to church as a child some, a young child but I didn't really know the Bible. I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know anything about the ways of God or the, the plan of God or the salvation of God. And I knew nothing and I had nothing. I was driving a car that was a stolen car. I did not steal the car <laughs> that time. I did not steal that car. But it was a stolen car that I had promised when I paid it off they were going to give me the title and they disappeared. There was no title because it was a stolen car. And so I couldn't tag it. And the tag that I was driving on from my previous vehicle was about to expire. Couldn't keep driving this car. And then I, I, something happened to it and I couldn't, why bother to repair it if I can't tag it? and drive it because now I'm trying to do things legal. I'm trying to do things right. I had not had a legal job since I was 15 years old. I, I did not uh, have any money 
the clothes that I had were not that great anyway, but all that I had was what could fit in the trunk of the car. I didn't have any furniture. I didn't have a home. I didn't have, you know, anything, any money, anything. All I had was uh, uh, coins, and, and you've heard me talk about my very first offering. It happened that week after I got saved, my very first offering. You could hear it from the back row. It was all my cigarette money. It was nickels and dimes and pennies, and, and there might have been a few quarters in there, but you know when you've been living like that, there's very few quarters. It's mostly, it's mostly the smaller coins. And you could hear it was enough for a pack of cigarettes, and they weren't any name-brand cigarettes, those generic things. And God, listen, God delivered me from drugs, from methadone. I was on a level of methadone. Another person on the same level as me got arrested and they wouldn't give him any methadone. It took him three weeks of throwing up, three weeks in bed for him to come off of the withdrawals from that sudden, for me, nothing. I was completely free, 100%. No withdrawals, no withdrawals, but I was smoking. Go figure. And I was smoking because nobody told me I got addicted. I should have flushed those cigarettes too, but I kept smoking them. And uh, God began to deal with me after a while that if I can't get victory over something no bigger than the size of my little finger, how was I ever going to walk in victory in my life? And so with the help of the Word, I just came off the cigarettes. But that first offering was all the money I had to my name. So here I am with a vehicle. And somebody said to me, now I'd lost my children. I'd lost custody of my children because of the addiction. And it was willing. I, I thought I was going to die. I knew I was going to die. And so I agreed to it. They didn't have to fight me hard because I had not been a, an influence in my children's life anyway. They saw me, but I wasn't the one putting their Cheerios in their bowl. I wasn't the one washing their clothes. I wasn't the one. Somebody else was raising my children because I was living an, ad, ad, an addict's life. I was living, uh, I was up all night uh, it, it, prostituting and then sleeping all day and getting high the rest of the time. And so my children didn't see very much of me. They knew who I was, but other people were raising them. And so I was going to let them continue to raise them. I was going to let them continue to have custody. And somebody continues to talk to me and says, here I am, three weeks saved. And they are saying, are you going to try to get custody back of your children? No, no, I don't think I can do that. I don't have any money. I don't have a home. I don't have a car. Get these things. What am I going to do with my, how am I going to raise my children? I have not been a good parent anyway. I had all these reasons. I am eternally grateful for the woman in the church who is today my sister-in-law who got down on her knees in front of me. I was sitting on her couch. She got down on her knees in front of me and she took my hands in her hands and with tears running down her face, she begged me, please go get custody of your kids. Please. Your children need you. And I said, but they're better with their grandma. She said, no, they're not. 
They need their mom. They need their mom. If you don't do this, it's going to affect their lives forever. Go get custody of your kids. So I called the family together. And I thought they were going to be so excited <laughs> about my change and my salvation. And I called my mom, who, who was not involved in of the children, but she was there in this meeting. And then uh, uh, the kid's great-grandmother who had custody. And I called them together, people from the church who they knew because it was the church that the great-grandma had taken them to. They, she knew these people. They were there. And I had been staying with them. And I said to them, I got saved. My life has changed. I've quit doing drugs. I'm clean. I'm, I haven't done drugs in three weeks. I've got, I'm getting a job. I just got hired at a job at that restaurant. And I, I would like to have custody of the children back. I, would like, I know it's not going to happen overnight. I know there's going to be you know, some uh, process and some steps to take. But I'd like for you to give me my children back. And they said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And what's to prove to us that you've changed? And so they, 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 I mean, just totally slammed the door in my face. And from that moment on, they became, from that moment for some time, let me not say for on, they became enemies to me. Not on my part, but on their part. So I had to go to court. And I went to court, and the first thing that they did was they gave me the ability to visit my children. And the first time that I went to visit my children, now again, I did not have a car. And so the people I was staying with had to take me to the visit. And he, had to, he, he got stuck in traffic. And so by the time he got to pick up me and his wife to take me to the visit, I was five minutes, say five minutes. Five, five, minutes. five minutes late to the visit. And this person who had let me live in their house while I was an addict, who had raised my children with me coming and living the way that I was living, I came to the door and she opened the door a crack and she said, you're five minutes late, you're not visiting these children and shut the door in my face. Now, before Christ, I would have responded much differently than I responded that day. But that day, and I can't tell you where I learned it. It must have been in that one month of time that I had been attending church. But I walked away, and this is what came out of my heart. Doing. I Jesus on the cross, and I can't tell you I really knew that verse. I can't tell you when I learned that verse, but I walked away saying, Lord, forgive her. She doesn't know what she's doing. And in the background, my children had seen me and they're, they're, they're screaming my name, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. They were so excited to see me. But she shut the door and she said, You're not visiting them today. Five minutes. So, of course, we called the attorney who was representing me, who called the attorney who was representing her. And they said, you can't do that. You've got to, if she's, you know, allow her to see the kids. And, of course, I made sure I was early the next time. And when I came in, again, the house I had lived in this whole time, 
I'd been in this family the whole time. Nobody had ever corrected me about my addiction. Nobody had ever uh, tried to rebuke me for the way I was living and my absence from my children's life. But they put me in the back room, the size of this the size of this area right in the room, to play with my children all day. And the children, if if the children got bored and wanted to leave the room, I couldn't go anywhere else in the house. And they would come in and talk about me in the other room. I mean, hostile. People who had been my family months before. But I just did it with a smile on my face. And I sat in that little tiny room. I think it was smaller than that area. I sat in that little tiny room and I played with my children. First time I'd ever played with my children. And I played with them for hours to keep them interested. And if they got bored, when they got ready to go eat, they went and ate. I sat there. Nobody offered me water. Nobody allowed me to go to the bathroom. Months later, after it was all over, the great-grandmother said, Michelle, I needed to know you meant business. I needed to see that you were willing to do what it took to get custody back of them. And so I forgave her. But I'm telling you, because sometimes when you hear somebody's testimony, you can hear me stand up and say, God set me free from drugs and look at my life today and not see the walk. Not see the standing, not see how God had to prepare you and God had to lead you and God had to help you deal with things. And, and so went before the judge and the judge had given me specific things that had to be done. First of all, I had to go to a, a drug test that were appointed and they would call and tell you what day to come. It wasn't something you could plan when you took your drug test. They were ran drug test. Did I tell y'all I didn't have a car? I had to get to the random drug test and I couldn't miss it. Because if you miss a random drug test, they think you're missing it because you're using. So God made a way for me to have transportation to these random drug tests. I had to get a job and keep it and bring a note from my employer that I was a stable employee. I did that. I had to get my driver's license. That was one of the major components. I had not had a driver's license in years. I had gotten in trouble with an accident and I was uninsured and then I got tickets and I had all of these things that were outstanding. And so when I went to the driver's license uh, bureau to get my Tennessee state driver's license, they gave me a list The tickets were over $1,000, the outstanding tickets, because, you know, they multiply when you don't pay them. The the restoration, the, the fee that you have to pay to get it reinstated, just ridiculous. And it was because I had lost it. 
with this insurance, with a lack of, in I had to get SR22 insurance. I had to pay this reinstatement fee that was over a thousand dollars. I had to pay these thousands of dollars in tickets, and I was working as a lunch waitress at a at a restaurant like a Chili's. It's called O'Charlie's. I was working at the lunch. Why? Because I need in church. You know why I learned? You know, you can make more money at night. But I needed to be in church. And I said, I can't miss church. And they had church. Church. They did church Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then during the day on Sunday. But Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday. When I first got saved, they were every night. I was in church. And then after a while, that man that who is, was my father-in-law, that he, he took over the church for a while, and they had it like a revival center. And so they had church, you know, half of the week on, at night. So I couldn't miss church because that's why I'm saved. <laughs> and I don't want to go back to the way I was living, so I need to be in church. So I chose the lunch option. And so there was some money, but not a lot of money. I mean, I had favor that they allowed me to be a lunch closer, which meant I got to work from the beginning of the lunch. And they made me one of them. You, I, I shared that testimony today, how that when I went and I got that, long list of how much it was going to cost me to get my driver's license back. I called my pastor's wife and I said, please speak faith to me. And she began quoting all these verses to me. And I, I just uh, uh, hung up the phone and uh, went back to work. And that day, uh, God brought uh, a, a group of businessmen in and they gave me my first $100 tip at the lunch hour. And then there were other times during that season that, that large unexpected tips would come in. And I wasn't telling people my, my story. It was, it was the faith of God yeah. and other people that brought money to me. I all of that money and I paid all of those fines. The favor of God, my attorney was able to uh, talk with the, the people behind the, um, all of the tickets and get them greatly reduced. And so I walk into the courthouse and I've got all of my drug screening, all of my random drug tests. We're good. I've got the letter from my employer. I've got my driver's license. The day before court, they came to the apartment I just moved into that the church, the church people got together and brought couch and, and a bed for the kids and, and, and I didn't have any money to be able to buy stuff for a house, sheets for a bed or a bed. But the day before the, the, the apartment, and I get the stuff for the apartment. I've used all my money to pay for the reinstatement fee. Yeah. And I move in there, at, and the, that day they came to do the house inspection <laughs> to see if I had a house for my kids to live in. And they came and they walked through the house and there were dishes in my cabinet. I didn't own a dish the day before. I didn't own a cup. I didn't own a glass. But the church people took of their own and blessed me. And so I had furniture. I had dishes. 
I had uh, uh, sheets for the bed, bedspreads, all of those things. God did that. God did that. So I walk in. I've got the house inspection. They came and saw I have a house for my kids. I've got a valid driver's license. Don't have a car yet, but I got a valid driver's license. I've got, I've got all of my drug screens that I've passed. I've got a letter from my employer where he talked about how faithful I was and what a good worker and what a great attitude I had. And I walk into the courtroom, and there on the other I hadn't seen in a long time. I'm talking about people I'd with and people I'd crimes with. Testify thing but the out of business. They to lie. Everything they would have said would have been true about the Michelle before Christ. <laughs> but that wasn't me. Well, when I walked in, I had my pastor with me, my pastor's wife. I had, had my friend who is now my sister-in-law. And they, they were saying, we've got God. We've got God. I said, but, but they can tell true things that I did. And they said, that doesn't matter. We've got God. We've got God on our side. And here we are. We're over here praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying and standing on the word, and I'm casting down imaginations, and I'm trying to keep my peace. You know, I didn't, I wasn't skilled in any of those things. See you sweat. You know, I was doing my best just to believe God in this situation. What if I got? I've got everything to gain. Amen. And so the time comes, and their attorney stands. Honor. We have witnesses today who would like to explain why we believe Michelle Cosby would not be a candidate to receive her children. And, and we've got testimonies of things that they've seen her do. They've been uh, with her when she's done them. And the judge said, I don't need to hear any of their testimony. <laughs> would not even let them speak. I don't need to hear any of their testimony. Ooh, thank you, Jesus. Because I didn't want to hear their testimony. She said, I don't need to hear any of their testimony. What I want to find out is, Michelle, have you done what I told you to do? Let me see your drug screens. Yes, ma'am. Let me see a letter from your employer. Yes, ma'am. Let me see that you have a valid driver's license. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Did anybody do a house inspection to see if she has a house to take her children to? And the woman stood up and she said, yes, I have. She's got a, a two-bedroom apartment. She gave the address, location, or not the address, but the location. She described it and she said uh, she, she has things in place. It was the same person who had been meeting with my children the caseworker who had been meeting with my children, and they said, do her children want to live with her? 
I had not been their mom. But my daughter Jessica, my oldest, when they came to see her at her school, she said, I want to live with my mommy. Now, my little boy was four. He didn't quite understand everything that was going on at the time. But when, when they asked, she said, I want to live with my mommy. I love my grandma, but I want to live with my mommy. Amen. And that day, I received custody of my children. And it was, the, it was the hand of God. It was the restoration of God. It was not anything I could have done without Him. But, but with Him, I can do all things. And the judge gave me the option if, of the visitation to the woman who had fought me so hard said, I know you're working. I will babysit for free. And then I, I was not harboring any ill will for how she had done. I thought, you know what? I probably, <laughs> after the life I'd lived and they had seen me live, I said, if she wants to babysit the children, I will bring them over and pick them up when I get done. And I thanked her. Amen. And she and I were good after that. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, I'm not sure why I went this direction tonight. If nothing else, then just to say God's been good. And that there are times that we need to stop and testify about how God is able to restore how God is able to put our lives together, how He is able to move a, a brief segment of the testimony how hard the situation would have been without God, but how miraculous He moved in the situation to make it possible. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I, I have in my heart to is this okay? Y'all stay with me here. I'm going to church, learning the word, and I have custody of my children. And God put in my heart specific things concerning my future husband. Hallelujah. There were some young men in the church who were considering themselves candidates, <laughs> but they didn't meet the list. The criteria, the criteria on the list came from the Bible. Specific things that I saw in the Bible because I thought, now I've messed up with my choices before. I don't want to just choose what looks appealing to the eye. I don't want to just choose based on what, what looks right. What I, want, I want this to be built 
with, with God's plan. And so one of the first things that I, I put on my list is I want them to be stronger in the Word than me. And I want them to be a worshiper. I was a worshiper. I mean, I would, I would dance till my earrings flew off. You know, I would dance and, and, and I got a lot of liberty just in the presence of the Lord, worshiping God. But I, I thought, I don't want a man who is going to be less of a worshiper than me. I want a man who's a worshiper. That's why a pastor worships the way he worships. The ladies who sing with him say, I like how he gets in there. He's a worshiper. That, that was on my list, sister. That was on my list. And then I began praying right away. Lord, and that I married, love my children like they're his own. That was something that was in my prayer because I did not want to marry a man who would consider this to be a stepchild. I, I, I don't want a family where my kids are his stepkids. Like they're. I prayed that before I ever met Philip Steele. And when I met him, I knew because I'd been looking at my list. And other people would try to get me to go out with them, but they, weren't on, they, they didn't fit the list. They did not fit the criteria. Because um, I was watching, are you in the Word? Where's your Bible? I'm going out with you. Worship service, I'm scouting. Okay. Nope, not you. Amen? I'm focused on what the Word of God identifies as a strong man to lead my house because I want somebody who's going to lead me into God's plan and not lead me back in the direction of the flesh that I lived for so many years. Hallelujah. Steele, back in that day, he was Brother Philip, came to the church. Now, his parents moved him and helping them. When he came in, I knew. God dealt with me. One day, the Lord asked me, would you like for him to be your husband? I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, I got a worshiper. I've got a man strong in the word. Always playing with my I mean, he'd pick up my kids and throw them around. You know, my little boy. Still do. Yes. So I walked up to him. We're on the church, front porch of the church. And coming in the front church and I'm walking up and the kids have run in ahead of me and I'm coming up and, and I got my Bible and I'm dressed for Sunday church and I walk up to him and, and, and we have these long handshakes. We had these handshakes that just went on and on. How are you today? I'm good. We just talked the whole time. We're shaking our hands. So good to see you today, Brother Philip. So good to see you. And one day it came out of my mouth. I'm standing there shaking his hand. It came out of my mouth. I said, do you know you're my miracle? Oh. And he just stopped up and he goes, I am? I said, yeah, do you know you're my miracle? So when he says, I asked him to marry me, I wasn't asking. I, I did not ask him to marry me. 
I just told him what thus saith the Lord. God said I could have him. God asked me, do you want him to be your husband? I accepted and I just let him know you're my miracle. Now, let me tell you what took place behind the scenes. Because we never dated till after we were married. I, I determined I do not want to let my good be spoken evil of. And the life that I came out of, can you imagine what people would have surmised took place on a date if I had gone out on a date with him? We never dated. We talked on the phone and we shook hands for a long time at the church. And church is where we developed our relationship. When I would be praying, I would take my Bible and I would put it on the floor and I would stand on it. This is not blasphemous, this is faith. And I would say, Father, I'm standing on your word. You said whatsoever I shall ask in Jesus' name, you'll do it for me. Father, I thank you that my name is Mrs. Philip Steele. Now, I did not tell people that in public. But in my time before God, I would stand on His Word. I would stand on His Word and I would thank Him that my name is Mrs. Philip Steele. I was believing God. I was standing on His Word. And then one day, now I didn't have a car. Did I tell you I didn't have a car? And now I moved into this apartment, so I'm not staying with the people and getting a ride from, to church with them. And one of the young men who wanted to date me lived in the same apartment complex. He had actually talked to the, the, uh, the leasing agent and helped, me get, helped the church get me into that apartment. So he lived there, and so everybody thought it was convenient for him to bring me. I mean, people encouraged it. You know, Jeff's right there. Just let him bring you to church. But one day the Lord asked me, if you are believing to be Mrs. Philip Steele, why would you be a married woman in the car with a man you're not married to? Why would you be in the car with him if he's not your husband? Would a married woman be riding to church with somebody she's not married to? So I had to answer that. Lord, if I'm in faith that that's the direction you have for me, then I'm not riding to church with this young man anymore. And so I asked a couple, a married couple in the church who had, they didn't have to come too far out of their way, but they had to come a, a little ways, about a mile or so out of their way. But I asked them, would you be willing to come and pick me and my children up for church? And they gladly did it. And every church service, they would come by and pick me up and take me and my children to church and bring us home. And people wondered why. Because they didn't know what I was believing they didn't know where my faith was. And they kept saying, well, why don't you just let Jeff bring you? He's right there. Why don't you just ride with him? He's right there. You could just walk out of your back door and, and get in where his car is parked. And I'm, no, no. I'm not letting him in my house. I'm a married woman. Why, by faith, I know the direction I'm going, so I'm not going to play around over here and open doors or even let my evil be, let my good be evil spoken of. Yeah. 
Now, from, for a lot of people, they didn't see any sense in it. But it was faith from my perspective. Amen. It was a, a, de, a decision that protected me. Because, you know, there were other young girls in the church who wanted to date Brother Philip. <laughs> and a lot of mamas that wanted their daughters to date Brother Philip. And they would be setting him up. You know, I didn't have a lot of money to go out to eat after church. They all went out to eat after church. He said it was more than once that he, he, they went thinking it was going to be the whole group of, of people from the church. And before he knew it, everybody had left him alone with, uh, with one person. He's like, oh, they set me up. And so there were other people that were interested in, in, in him, had designs. And so he also began, because, you know, we're talking on the phone. We're not dating, but he's recognizing the direction that God wants. And so when we married, we went for our first date with my kids. <laughs> my children always called him Daddy. They've never called him Philip. And if you ask my children today, he is their daddy. They know their natural father has passed. They know somewhat of him. And his, but Philip still is their dad. He never, ever in any disagreements, in any raising of my children, never treated them different. He loves them because they are His. Amen. They are His. God, only God can do that. But listen, God put that on my radar before. That the man He brings to me is capable of loving my children like they are His own. Because there were two things that were not even optional for me. Number one is that stepchild thing. And number two... It is not optional for us to always talk divorce. So from the beginning, we established that if we disagree, because my, my, my life before Christ, every time we disagreed, I'm leaving you, I'm out of here, kicked me out or he left, right? And so entering into this, we had determined from the beginning, we will never throw that divorce word when we disagree. We're never going to threaten to leave and threaten to break up or threaten to divorce every time we disagree about something. That was, the, that was God putting that in me from the beginning because there were plenty of times that I, we would disagree about something and I wanted to say it. I wanted to because that was my method of dealing with things before. That was my learned behavior from before. I wanted to say, well, then I'm just out of here. Or just get your stuff and leave, buddy. You know, I wanted to say that in the flesh, but in my spirit, it was like, no, uh, 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 that's not an option. Don't say that. Don't, don't throw that divorce word out there. Hallelujah. So these are things that the Spirit of God gave me that when I look back on them, it was Him preparing me. God put that in me to pray that before I ever met my husband, that he would be a man who would love my children like his own. 
He put it in me from before we ever married to say, don't use that divorce threat. Those were things that if we had overlooked those instructions of God, things could have been different. Amen? Praise God. This has been a very different service for me. But I believe that we've all received some encouragement from it. Even if, even if it wasn't help for you, just encouragement to see what the Lord has done. To see how God can transform our lives. He is faithful. He is faithful. Father, we're thankful to you for the change that you make in our lives. We're thankful, Father, for the help of your Holy Spirit, for the leading and guiding, and even the ability to look back and see along the way how you have um, directed and guided and prepared the way for us. Thank you, Lord. 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 Thank you, Father. If you are a person that is in a process of transformation, I just want you to stand to your feet, and I'm going to pray over us tonight. If you are a person who God is rebuilding your life right now, God is putting your life back together. And there have been times that you thought, how can God ever fix what I've messed up? This encouragement was for you tonight. And you need to know God is able to restore and put you on a path that's more stable and more full of His goodness than you've ever dreamed of. Than you've ever dreamed of. So, Father, I just pray your restoration over each of these who have stood to their feet. Father, that what you have in store for them would be 100% brought into manifestation upon their path. Father, that you would give them that same guidance, that you would give them the same leadings, that you would put things and and preparations and uh, uh, messages and spiritual truths and precepts into their heart that they cling to, they apply to their life. And Father, that your plan be unhindered in their lives. Full restoration is your plan. Full restoration. Restoration in relationships and restoration in finances and restoration in uh, purposes. Purposes, Father. Purposes put back into place. Lord, I pray for each of these to be strengthened by your Spirit in their inner man that they would know that you have a plan and that they would submit to that plan and that they would expect beyond what they think they're worthy of. Father, that you would... You would remove that unworthiness that disqualifies themselves, through which they disqualify themselves. Let that be removed from the equation and let them put their entire expectation upon you. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 
Thank you, Lord. Now, I want you to expect it. I want you to expect it. I want you to look beyond where you are. I want you to look beyond what you think you can do. And I want you to expect God to restore in a supernatural way. In a supernatural way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Every single woman who knows God is bringing a mate into your life, stand to your feet. I want to pray over your choices. Hallelujah. God has a plan. Father, I thank you for your perfect plan in their future husband. Father, that you would even begin now putting in the heart of each of these women what to expect and what to set as a necessary requirement in them that they would not settle for less and that they would not be deceived. Lord, I pray for that accuracy, that they would not be deceived, but, but Father, they would know by your Spirit and that they would follow the leading of your Spirit. And in that following, there will be the wholeness in that relationship. Lord, give them the strategies of what to pray in advance and what to prepare in themselves. Because the scripture says, ladies, the scripture says, when a husband finds a wife, when a man finds a wife, you're not the one looking. And he's not looking for a woman. He's looking for a wife. Hallelujah. So what can I prepare in me to be the wife that God has prepared for him? Amen? Amen. And, and begin to allow God to work that in you. Uh, allow God to reveal that in you and guard it. You're not for everybody. Amen. You're for a special somebody that God's already chosen. And that perfect one for you is not random. God's not looking around saying, let me try him. Oh, no, no, let me try him. No, God has already planned. There is a divine destiny in this. Why? Because marriage is one of the most important things, especially for you to fulfill the call of God on your life. The one he, he brings you is going to have a call of God on his life too. Maybe not to fivefold ministry, but something God has assigned him to do, and it'll be a perfect match. Hallelujah. And if we'll follow God's plan... We'll never have to experience the pain and, and the, the tearing apart. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He's so good. He's so good. He's so good. He's so good. Praise the Lord. Well, everybody stand with us to your feet. Again, this has definitely been a different service. I think I preached my message. Show, I, I preached enough over the offering. We definitely got our word, right? We got the word, and then we got the encouragement of the testimony. So thank you for celebrating what God has done in my life with me and allowing the Holy Spirit just to minister in that direction.